If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. This is Everything is Personal with Len May. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. And as, and as always, I love that. My wonderful co-host, the Super Vinyl, John Small. Thank you, Len. And it is wonderful to be here with my soundboard. I really actually yes. have to update my sounds because I think we're probably our audience is getting a little bit sick of my sounds. But I like uh, thank you for having me today. And I'm very excited about our guest. Super Portland's excited. Portland's own. I'm super excited. We're super excited to have Dr. Rachel Knox with us, MD, MBA, cannabinoid medicine specialist, and clinical endocannabinologist. So the first question I have, oh, welcome to the show, Rachel. Before I <laughs> yeah, even start, okay, <laughs> questions and all that stuff. I love this word. Where did endocannabinology come from? Well, in conventional medicine, we like to name specialties and areas of study after, you know, body functions, organs, and systems. So you're familiar with cardiology, right? And neurology and endocrinology. And uh, all of those, all those things mean is that you're, you're, you're specialized or you're studying in that organ system. Right. Cardiologist uh, specializes in the function and dysfunction and treatment of the heart and the circulatory system, right? And a neurologist, mm -hmm. the brain. Well, we focus on the endogenous cannabinoid system. It's right. function, dysfunction, and modulation using things like cannabis, um, our, our bread and butter. So we call ourselves endocannabinologists. Uh, we practice endocannabinology, uh, cannabis being the most versatile tool that works on this system. By default, we become cannabinoid medicine specialists. <laughs> um, and yeah, and I remember the first day I used the term endocannabinologist and it was at a conference, I think back in 2018, and it was um, an M MJ for MDs conference in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And I looked out into this audience of health and medical professionals and I said, you all are endocannabinologists and you can hear the pin drop. <laughs> what? Right. What I've been called a lot like, of things. Yes. yes, I know, but I was trying to explain like, look, like don't, we cannot reduce ourselves to cannabis specialists. We're, we're, we're doctors and nurses and, you know, care providers of humans, right. Of human beings and their bodies. And we don't grow cannabis inside of us. So why, why are we calling ourselves pot docs? Or even cannabis doctors. Yeah. We're doctors of humans. We're doctors of the endocannabinoid system. So that makes us endocannabinologists. 
do you have to be a healthcare professional or can anybody that works within the cannabis space and trying to use the plant, you know, the phytocannabinoids to help sure. heal people, can so, we call ourselves into cannabinologists as well? The, the, the term implies that you, you study, right? You study right. this system. Traditionally, and really, I should say, conventionally speaking, we're, we're, we're talking about people who are licensed or certified with a background in pharmacology and, and okay. physiology and, you know, care yeah. for dis-ease. Um, that being said, you know, I consider massage therapists and doulas healthcare providers as much as I understand that a neurologist is a healthcare provider. Right. Um, so I think especially when we're talking about cannabis, we, we need to acknowledge that there are a lot of types of experts um, that care for people with plant medicines um, yeah. and with our shamans in there, right? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, endocannabinology, just to be succinct about it, just means somebody who, who studies this right. and has a command over the application of cannabis in particular, right, amongst other things to address uh, dysfunction within the endocannabinoid system. Well, I definitely study it. I'm not sure how I address it. So maybe I'll borrow <laughs> that term every once in a while and use it. Uh, throw mm-hmm. it on there. So Rachel, who are the Knox docs? The Knox docs are my family. Um, my, my bro, I guess we, and I, I try to, I try to throw him a bone <laughs> every now and then he is a doctor of jurisprudence. So, you know, okay. Um, we, we, we could consider him a Noxoc, but no. So mm-hmm. the Noxocs are my parents, Dr. David and Dr. Janice Knox, and my baby sister. I'm the middle middle child. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I couldn't uh, tell. For all Not you middle child, children out there, <laughs> got you. Um, Jess, Dr. Jessica, my baby sister, and we are all conventionally trained. My parents in emergency medicine and anesthesiology, respectively. Mm-hmm. My background is in family and integrative medicine and my sister in preventative medicine. And it was 20, 2016 that when we like formally banded together under uh, the Doctors Knox brand, if you will, right. um, when we founded our American Cannabinoid Clinics, because we felt that the, you know, the, the typical pot doc cannabis card clinic model was insufficient for newcomers. Mm. Uh, cannabis as medicine. Don't get me wrong. When I first got into this space, I had patients educating me. I learned a lot from um, legacy medical patients. Right. But now that University of Google is teaching all of us that cannabis is medicine, there are a lot of people turning to it for medical use and just did not know where to start. Um, and we felt that it was our job as as licensed medical doctors to be a resource. Um, to these patients. We've studied pharmacology. We've studied physiology. It is us who should be here um, to help patients figure out how to use cannabis as medicine. So we decided to step up and and be that kind of resource. Is part of that also educating other healthcare professionals? You got it. (laughs) 100%. I mean, we're, we're part of, we're we're part of the problem and we need to be part of the solution. Right. Um, to, yeah, normalizing, put in air quotes, norm, normalizing cannabis use. Is there any pushback from healthcare professionals on what you're doing and the legitimacy of, uh, you know, the endocannabinology, other healthcare professionals, doctors saying, yeah, this is not traditional medicine. We don't believe in this stuff. Do we even have an endocannabinoid system? You know, that kind of 
stuff or yeah well first i like to men- i like to tell them that it is traditional medicine traditional medicine is the oldest medicine strangely we call conventional western medicine traditional hmm. um i think that's right unfortunate that we spell cast like that if you will yeah. um, um alternative is what we consider you know traditional chinese medicine ayurveda and which is crazy because that's a portmanteau between alter and natural native right yeah. alter like con- what's what's actually counter to na- to nature our conventional way um so i like to make that correction first mm-hmm. um and acknowledge that traditional medicine is natural and holistic medicine it's our ancient medicine um so my my conventional western uh colleagues are surprisingly understanding when we lead with the science, when mm-hmm. we lead with uh, the the physiology of the endocannabinoid system, um, and use cannabis as an example of just one of many tools that works on this system. Right. Explaining that cannabis is a plant, not a drug, but it's full of drugs. It's full of substances that are pharmacologically active, and you know, very similar to us prescribing individual drugs that might make up a drug cocktail that many patients are taking like 20, 30 drugs a day. Oh my God. Um, Applying the pharmacology of cannabis is no different, no different. Um, And when we frame conversations that way, there's no pushback, but there are still instances where licensing boards are, um, you know, bearing down on medical professionals who are authorizing the use of cannabis. Right. Um, Still a lot of stigma. Yeah, we. I think we still have some mountains to climb. And- yeah, it's it's interesting that you said the drug cocktail. So I was a, uh, I was in a group of uh, part of this men's group, and uh, everybody was like, "What's your biggest fear?" And I and everybody went around with their fears, and most people were saying the fear of dying and all that stuff. And I said, for me, it's fear of being incapacitated mm-hmm. and uh, not being able to take care of myself. And I said, my, my vision from this started with my grandfather. So my grandfather ended up having like seven strokes and five heart attacks. He was part paralyzed, but I'll never forget. I have this image in my, in my head where he pulls out a little shopping bag and there's at least 30 different bottles of different pills that he was taking. And some of them are to address the side effects from the other pills that he was taking. So he kept on piling on, piling on. He wasn't getting any better, uh, but he was just constantly taking more and more pills. So that's the image I always had in my head. And that's why I personally don't take any, whatever you call pills or prescription medication, or even over the counter stuff. I believe in herbal remedies and plant medicine, all that stuff. Not that I'm advocating it. I'm sure it works for other people for certain things, but this fear of having this system that we have in place, that is a a system that's a for-profit system that says, well, it's not in our best interest to cure anything. It's in our best interest to get you on something. And if something else breaks from that, we'll give you something else at the least, you know, we keep making money off you. So why not? So I would just think that a lot of the traditional medical practitioners and pharma, uh, they look at this and saying, this is a threat. So what can we do to uh, attack on uh, this threat and use, you know, our resources to say, you know, this is, this is not real. This is bullshit. It's not cannabis is a drug and all that stuff. And it's uh, it perpetuates that, that stigma. So I think it's sort of moving in a, a much better direction for us as an industry. Now that we're seeing like you know, West Virginia, who would ever thought man texas when texas yeah. happens that's going to be it i think that's yeah you know drop the mic yeah. moment i find i find the argument the age-old argument that pharmaceutical drug 
prescription and their role in medical management is supported by evidence, right? It's evidence-based care. And I have to remind folks, there are not a not, there's not a single study out there that demonstrates the safety of any of these medication cocktails. Mm-hmm. Individually, sure, right. But none of them have been studied in in, in concert with one another. Um, and so, you know, for, for whatever reason, medical professionals are comfortable managing these laundry lists of prescription drugs that come with them a host of side effects and um, you know cause adverse effects that then we prescribe more drugs to treat right. and we're okay with that like somewhere deep down inside i hope the majority of us were cringing as we prescribe the next drug yeah. um yeah and i do think that's problematic again we have no evidence to support that that is safe yep. or that we should be doing that for, for chronic care management right. um, most drugs have only been studied for you know, a finite period of time. And so we can say, yeah, it seems like this, this product is, is safe for general consumption, but for how long, right? right? None of these drugs were designed for chronic lifelong use. For sure. Um, and then, you know, 10, 20 years later, something goes wrong. We have data and we're recalling things left and right when right. it's too late. It's already had a negative impact on so many people's lives. Where on the other hand, cannabis and other plant medicines have, a long history of being quite benign, (laughs) quite Mm -hmm. benign. And we know that there have been no deaths directly attributed to cannabis use. Right. Not only that, we have research that that tells us how certain cannabinoids behave in the body um, to address myriad conditions, right? Myriad disease states. And I I think that is sufficient for us to completely change the paradigm here. Um, Unfortunately, there are competing interests and you know yeah. who, whose interests I'm talking about. Yes. Um, because disease, chronic disease, is a commodity. Mm. Absolutely. That's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Keeping people sick um, is profitable. And the only ones who can change this are, are us. And no wonder cannabis legalization has, has been quite uh, patient-driven. Yes. Right? I think people Absolutely. are tired. People are fed up. 100%. So on everything is personal. I want to get a little personal. I, want to, I don't know if uh, people were asked you these kind of questions before, but I'm, I'm, I want to start with uh, your childhood. Like, wh- where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in Oregon. Mm-hmm. See, I was uh, born in Portland. Um, I lived in Beaverton until I was about two, and my parents moved my brother and I to West Lynn, which is uh, a suburb in the greater uh, Portland metropolitan area. Went to Portland private schools. Then went to Duke, and nobody in my family likes Duke. <laughs> so I still get a hard time. Where they like, like they Why like Tar Heels fans or something? Is it basketball um, or something? Yeah, my family's until until me and then my sister were all packed ten at the time. Oh, okay. my brother and mom are both Cal Bears. Right. My dad's a double husky. Um, although he's from Eastern Washington. Um. I ventured out east to Duke, and I majored accidentally. I say accidentally um, because I didn't intend to major in African American studies, but I did. Um, and this actually does—I don't know if we're going to get there—but this plays into uh, where I find myself in the cannabis industry today. But I took one intro, very popular intro to African African American studies mm-hmm. classes, and this is what like all the black students did. 
But I took it and I was like, are you kidding me? That's my history? Like as an 18 year old taking this course and realizing this was the first time I got any glimpse to the real history of black people in America, I was floored. And I ended up taking class after class after class and I was Mm -hmm. (laughs) pre-med. I intended to major in psychology and that did not happen. Um, And very ironically, when I had finished my pre-medical studies, ultimately I told my mom, I'm not going to go into medicine. (laughs) I'm not going to apply to medical school. I think I'm going to pursue a PhD in African-American studies because I'm going to start African-American school. Just thinking that other cultures who have, you know, come into our country and maintain their identities have Chinese American school or Hebrew, you know, American school or German American school, and they maintain their, their language and their, their, their heritage, and they pass on stories. And that was something that I felt black people in America have been deprived of. And I was like, this is going to be a root solution to creating a a core and shared identity um, and solidarity in in the black community. And we're going to make it. My mom was like, girl, (laughs) you and your sister listen i was hoping you'd weren't going to go into medicine because it's changed um Mm -hmm. that was her first point but second point was you put in all this work and you're more than capable of doing medicine differently right so jess and i applied only to md mba dual degree schools we both got into tufts in boston and so there we went um was also the only school that offered both degrees in four years and we were like we're not spending not a not a not a year longer (laughs) in school but it was during those four years and during my studies in uh healthcare administration that i realized that medicine was big business and that we doctors um weren't learning the business of our own profession and, and, and for particular reasons um and that we were being trained to be cogs in a wheel uh, designed to manage chronic disease. Yep. Um, so I saw, I saw right through it and which was really challenging for me as a medical student, I hadn't gone to residency yet being like, Oh my God, what did I get myself into? Yep. I don't want to be complicit with this chronic you know, sick care system. I don't want to work within that. And I, I struggled, but I found a residency program in family medicine that also offered, uh, an integrative medicine track. Mm-hmm. And luckily I got into that program and started to learn about plant medicine and TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, a little bit of herbalism. Mm -hmm. And uh, while that was happening, my parents were back home in Oregon starting to see patients in cannabis clinic. And I trained in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina. But your your mom started that first, right? Yes, she did. Add into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a pretty cool parent. By the way, that's pretty pretty cool parents you have. So they just just like... how did they because they were from oh, quote unquote traditional funny. medicine right that's what like, i was yes, yeah great, yes. great question john i was going to ask because i that, think your yeah, mom your it. mom started and then did she she pulled your dad was your dad resistant to it first or no so so you know my my parents are from i guess we could consider old, old guard conventional medicine right uh and uh you know, have been taught like all of us that cannabis is a drug of abuse. They had both seen colleagues go to rehab for, for cannabis use. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my mom had just been randomly contacted and asked to fill in for someone at a cannabis clinic and she had her reservations. Now she loves telling this. She loves telling the story how she went to Cal and never saw cannabis. She loves saying that. And we're like, you're bugging because <laughs> <laughs> you went to birth. Yeah, it was all over Cal's campus. Like, we don't yeah. believe you. I don't know what that 
smell this? I'm not sure. Is it somebody is that the new patchouli or something that? Right. <laughs> right. We're like, mm, okay, okay, mom. But she swears, she swears that she never saw it. She came from a very religious uh, Pentecostal family. Um, so could have played into it. Uh, at any rate, so she had her reservations and she called my brother who had already been, um, who uh, went to Cal and had never, never come home and um, became an attorney and actually was counsel to many cannabis companies in California at the time, mm-hmm. um, to medical cannabis companies, you know, tax law. Right. And uh, she was like, Zach, you can't believe it. I was asked to fill in at this clinic. Like, what do you think? I don't know. And my brother was like, uh, cannabis is legal for medical use in Oregon. It's been that way in California for a long time. Like it's mm-hmm. legitimate. You're going to be surprised. Just try it. Go and see what happens. And she was just knocked off her socks because regular people <laughs> were coming into this clinic looking for improved quality of life, mm-hmm. um, wanting to get off their prescription drugs, suffering from chronic and, and many like compound medical conditions. And um, she witnessed, she means she listened, but she also participated right in helping them at that point mm-hmm. when they felt that they had failed or had been failed by conventional medicine that was a real turning point for her right and yeah she got my dad into it no resistance there i mean my dad introduced her to cannabis there you go <laughs> <laughs> nobody heard that rachel don't worry no resistance. <laughs> no resistance there. um yeah and uh, jess and i were in the thick of our residency and, and and they were just they would share their stories with us and of course, I would go back to my attendings and be like, what do y'all think? Um, what do you think about cannabis as medicine? And I got the same old, same old from them. Like, it's not a medicine. There's no research, um, you know, because they didn't know. They didn't know any better. And they're in North Carolina. You know, yeah. they weren't getting exposed to legalization the way doctors were out in, in um, Oregon. So, you know, I didn't push back. I just, you know, took note. And um, at, at, but I knew then that I wasn't going to pursue a career in the conventional system. I was going to come home and. The rest is history, suppose. Join, join join the family business. Yeah, but I was super resistant. I'm like, I wonder what my attendings think now because <laughs> I don't know if any of that was gonna I was gonna last very long in conventional medicine. Anyways, it's just yeah. it, it it always felt like a misfit mm-hmm. in that environment. I completely understand that, and and you're never gonna reach like your full personal potential unless you really love and enjoy and connect energetically mm-hmm. what you're doing anyway and if you're resistant and you have some trepidations about that it's hard to get you know it's hard to be at your optimal anyway well i'll tell you this my last yeah. three months i was just so fed up with yeah. prescribing drugs so i took a chance <laughs> and started having because we, we mind you we were double booked two patients per 15 minutes like right. that's the frequency that we were seeing patients so yeah. oftentimes i had seven minutes with a patient that's not enough time to do anything um, but I decided I'm going to start asking my patients questions about their lifestyle and their spirituality. Um, and I had more success weaning people off their antidepressants and anti-anxiety and, and blood pressure drugs in those last three months than I did just prescribing and, uh, you know, modifying mm. uh, oh, prescription great. drug measurements. It was incredible. Why can't we have doctors like Dr. Knox in LA? I want to find a doctor like what? you. <laughs> Well, you know, endocannabinology is not much different um, from functional medicine. Mm -hmm. So I'm often recommending folks to find functional medicine providers um, Mm -hmm. 
and uh, and because function, most functional medicine providers recognize that it, you know care is a combination of lifestyle, of integrative medicine, of right. of our you know tradition, classical, ancient medicines, along with what's really good about our conventional methodologies. There, there's a time and a place for prescription drugs and procedures. Sure. Um, it's not always the first line, though. Yeah. yeah. That's how we treat it. We we, we plug people in to prescription drugs and it's a wrap, right? Right. right? We don't give them the chance to heal through natural modalities like cannabis and like nutrition and mm-hmm. um, other types of supplementation and activity. We just, and, you know. And wrote, mindfulness too. You're mindfulness. Mind. The Biology of Belief is a really great book. If you Absolutely. haven't read it by Bruce Love that Lynn. book. Well, yeah, Bruce Lynn. Yes. I'm writing that down. Damn. Yep. Read it. This is like a crash course. Biology great, Belief. Great book. Biology of Belief. Yeah, Bruce Lynn. But you know, I, I need to revisit that book because I haven't I haven't revisited since um, you know becoming an endocannabinologist. Right. And we we endocannabinologists think that the endocannabinoid dome is the the biopsychosocial spiritual model of medicine. That's, I love it. That's what we say, and it it, it ends the separation between um, natu- natural holistic medicine and conventional medicine. It's 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 bridging, you know, sort of abstract medicine that you know Chinese mm-hmm. medicine is to yep. conventional medicine, and I think it also explains the biology of belief. Yep, I agree. What's health equity? Oh, <laughs> health equity is equitable access to well-being and prosperity. Got it. And uh, I, I, I thank you for asking that question. I, I really want to, I want to learn more about that myself. And I want yeah. everybody to understand because look, I, I don't want this to sound like this is an elitist thing. And because when you, when you, we start talking about, you know, we, we have uh, uh, endocrinology and we have these uh, different uh, things that we can do and we can offer you. The, it should be like people start thinking, Oh, it's the, the Hollywood people that they, they can only afford that stuff. We want to make sure that this is available for everyone. So I do want to I want I want to yeah. ask you about that because I want to learn about what you're doing and yeah. and then communicate that to everybody else everybody's listening all the healthcare professionals because and we talked about it before uh, we as a company like our company we are trying to see what we can do to have like sort of a a call like a slush fund or something that we can help people if you cannot afford this we're going to yeah. help you afford this kind of thing regardless of where you come from everybody should get it so I just want to put it out yeah. there. I want people to learn that this is not an elitist thing. Everybody, oh, everybody, everybody. Um, you know, I, I, we like to say in, in our, my cohort, Kim, Cannabis Health Equity Movement, that we're going to begin with the most disinvested in communities because if we don't start there, then we're never going to ensure that we get there. So we have to start there. Right. Um, we start in the most disinvested communities so that we can ensure that we're doing the work for all people. But yeah, health equity, put another way, is equitable access to well-being and prosperity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's not re- we can't reduce that to medicine. I, I think un- 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 what's unfortunate is that we place health equity within um, a medical box. Mm-hmm. We we do the same when we call when we use the healthcare system synonymously with the medical system, mm-hmm. um, because we don't realize that McDonald's is part of the healthcare system. Department of Justice is part of the healthcare system. Yeah. Our, your schools that you went to are part of the healthcare system, right? right? These institutions and organizations impact our health for better or worse 100% of the time. We're constantly, right? Our, our health is just a state of being. Right. 
our, the, the health of our minds, our bodies, our spirits, the health of our finances, the health of our relationship, right? We can use health to describe the state of being of anything. Right. Um, so I like to, 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 to say that so that we're not thinking that when I say health, even as a medical doctor, I'm not meeting medicine. I'm right. meaning the totality of our well-being. So I, I like using um, this sort of analogy to define health equity, which for me is synonymous with total equity. And that is comparing it to sustainability. Mm-hmm. And this amazing ecologist um, uh, defined total sustainability as the sum of four pillars of sustainability, economic sustainability, environmental sustainability, human sustainability, and social sustainability. And you can't mm-hmm. have a totally sustainable ecosystem mm-hmm. unless all four of those pillars are addressed and optimized. Mm-hmm. And when I read that, I my light bulbs went off. Because I was like, that's health. <laughs> that is health. So I define health equity as the sum of four pillars of equity, economic, environmental, human, and social. And only when we optimize all areas are we achieving total equity or health equity. Um, and medical equity or patient parity fits very neatly. And it's a very tiny component of human equity, right? Human equity speaks to, um, you know, the optimization of our skill sets, our mm-hmm. education, our abilities, our capabilities, our adaptability, but also the fitness, right? Mm-hmm. The fitness of our, our, our mental state, the fitness of our body, the fitness of our spirituality. Um, and that's where medical care resides yeah. because our environments matter. If I prescribe you cannabis or metformin and I send you back home into an environment, maybe you have mold in your home or maybe you live in a food desert, yep. um, and so what I've recommended to you as a doctor is not going to get you well if you still live in an ecosystem that yep. is keeping you sick. Yep. Um, another example, you know, economic equity, right? Yep. We, we consider that um, the optimization access to um, uh, ownership of financial assets, income, savings, access mm-hmm. to capital, and the agency to choose how that money flows through your household and community. Not everybody has that agency. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're talking about cannabis in terms of equity. Mm-hmm. Um, we, 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 we tend to reduce it to social equity. Remember, that's just one pillar mm-hmm. of total equity or health equity. And the textbook definition of social equity is fairness in policy and regulation and in the distribution of, of, of social services. Right. So I was, I've been scratching my head in this cannabis industry because we wholly focus on social equity. We try to put it in a box that resides outside of the regulatory framework. It's supposed to complement it when the definition of social equity says that the very policies and regulations that define cannabis should be mm-hmm. equitable themselves. That is the social equity vehicle. And we're missing that. We're forgetting that. And I like to say social equity is the vehicle. Health equity is the outcome we're trying to achieve here, people. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and a, it's what a I great love thing. about cannabis yeah. is that, yeah, we're all wild about its consumption capacity, right? For, for an adult to use cannabis at the discretion for medical or recreational or spiritual purposes is all well and good. But that's just one type of utility. This plant we can use in agriculture to replete our soil, to grow more nutritious foods. We can innovate it industrially into building materials, insulation, cars, fuel, right? Mm -hmm. We can eat it and we need to eat it 
because those seeds especially have the perfect omega-6 to omega-3 ratios. And guess what omegas build? Our endogenous cannabinoids. Yes. No wonder no many, so many of us are deficient <laughs> in them. We're not, we're not eating the right foods to create them. Um, and so when you start to think about the breadth of innovations that cannabis brings us, then you begin to understand that this plant is a very unique root solution to not only our medical problems, but our socioecological problems too, that are driving health disparity entirely. Um, so that's why I harp on health equity. That's why I apply cannabis to it. Mm-hmm. We are not even close to even scratching the surface on the potential of using this plant to really heal communities, beginning with those most disinvested in, happens sure. to be the same communities targeted most by the war on drugs. Yep. Um, and that's where I think our conversations absolutely need to shift towards the outcome. What can cannabis do? Yep. How are we going to let it do what it does best? Yep. Um, to ensure that we're all we're all healing, not just economically. We talk about that ad nauseum, in my opinion. Like, yeah, we need to create economic opportunities for people of color in the industry, yes, but mm-hmm. that's not even one side of the coin. So, what action can somebody take? Like, what are some of the actions if if we're giving this out to the audience and I can uh, carry the torch as well? What are some of the actions that people can take to do yeah. this? I, I apply the four pillars everywhere because <laughs> I just think it's simple. Right. I, I really challenge us all to, when we have to fill up, fill, fill up to pour out. Mm-hmm. And I do recognize many cannabis companies, especially starting to um, assess their internal culture. Yeah. They're filling up right uh-huh. now. Everybody in, it, everybody in cannabis is just filling up. I don't know. Yep. I'm not sure they're pouring out yet, but they're definitely. Yeah. But, and you can do both simultaneously. Don't get me wrong. Right. Um, one of the things, the biggest concerns that we, we have when I say we, I'm talking about those who are focused on equity in this industry are the performative acts. Right. Mm-hmm. Cannabis organizations that you know want to throw money behind a cause one time mm-hmm. and then we don't see them continuing to participate in ensuring policies and regulations are equitable or mm-hmm. that we're achieving the equitable outcomes we want. Things really slowed down. Right. Yeah. Uh, since this time last year. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's kind of sad, but there are a few companies who are assessing their internal culture while also trying to do external work because they recognize that for long-term, um, uh, long-term engagement in this area, you have to have a culture mm-hmm. that embodies it. But when it comes to, to giving back and to giving out, I like folks to understand that capital comes in four pillars too, the same ones, economic capital, environmental capital, human capital, and social capital. If you don't have green, you don't have economic capital to throw behind, you know, an equity applicant or, you know, an equity endeavor, but you have a social network that might connect people, connect people who can provide them with solutions. If you have land, if you have a facility that you can share, that's environmental capital and you can throw that (laughs) into the ring. Um, And then there's human capital. Do you have a, do you have a skill set that could benefit somebody? Throw that into the ring. Right. Capital comes in, in a variety of ways. We can't limit ourselves to just green. I understand that a lot of cannabis companies, especially small ones, don't have yeah. um, you know, cash assets to, to throw around, and that's okay. But what do you have? I wanted to actually thank you for doing something that you did, which is highlighted this to so many people. I shared this with a lot of people that instead of my talks or anything that I do, I think you did a fantastic job with your TED Talk. I think it was so illuminating for people that are sort of on the fence. 
they don't know. And you did such a great job of describing the endocannabinoid system and how cannabis works and everything else. How did that opportunity come about? Oh, um, I was contacted by the director of TEDx Portland <laughs> directly. I'm um, not even sure how he got my contact information, but this particular year it was 2019. They decided that um, considering it's Portland and Oregon, they, they should probably talk about cannabis. <laughs> yeah, smart. <laughs> oh man. At a retreat, a, I guess a board member had just thrown my name into the hat and right. they did their homework and thought that uh, I might be a good candidate. And, and we met, which, which is funny. This is, this is, this is their protocol. Yeah. So I took the meeting and um, let them know, yeah, I was interested. And, 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 and they're like, okay, well, now you have to apply. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I have to do some work. You wanted me, come on. Right. right. Um, and they're like, yes. Yeah, so what we need you to do is essentially write an outline of what it is you might talk about. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what to write. So I just word vomited into a Google document, my story. Um, and then my story at the time, as it is now, I, you know, revolves around this endocannabinoid system. And, uh, you know, I, I threw in some, like some things like racial justice related things, um, because I, I'm still a black medical doctor. And, and so from that perspective, I feel doubly impacted right. <laughs> by prohibition. I mean, come on, what you did to people of color on the one hand is just uh, an, an abomination Right. But you withheld life-saving information. Not just Mm. patients, the doctors who are caring for them. Are you kidding me? Like I graduated from medical school 20 years after the discovery of the endocannabinoid system. Didn't learn it. Mm. Sorry. That that is malpractice (laughs) as far as I'm concerned, right? So, anyways, I shared, I shared that. And they were so moved by it. They were like, whatever, whatever you talk about, (laughs) it's gonna, it's gonna be great. Between being invited uh, and stepping out onto that stage, um, there was it was about a two month process. The last month, I spent narrowing my like five pages of content, like literally five pages of content, into what became fifteen minutes right. of, of my talk. It's it's um, not easy to yeah. do a fifteen minute talk. Like I, I don't think people realize that if you're comfortable talking in front of people, you get out there and talk. But to be able to be concise I, in 12, 14, 15 minutes, it's very, very difficult. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you and did a great job. Me, well, thank you. Cause I was like, I can't just get out there and talk about cannabis. I can't get out there and just talk about the endocannabinoid system. I have to tell the story. Like I have to tell the truth about you know, prohibition. And I didn't get the racial justice in there, but I did take a swing at the industrialists, as you recall. And I was able to talk a bit about, you know, the Flexner Report and modern, the modern day medical system as it was, you know, birthed uh, while excluding natural medicine. And uh, that was really important. I think that might've been more important um, for the general masses to hear. Yeah, I, 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 there was. I'm trying to remember who said this, but there was a politician or somebody that came out and said that one of the biggest crimes that Richard Nixon did with and was not prosecuted for was the Controlled Substance Act that he uh, set forth. Because everything right now that we're dealing with 
is the direct yes we know what happened in the in the in the marijuana uh, tax act we know 1937 we get all that but that is what we're dealing with now and that was the impetus for the war on drugs and oh my gosh so. i i stand by this and this is I'm, I'm sure this is a controversial statement truly but i think it was the single most worst like heinous crime against humanity 100 percent because of in the, the united states the plant yes. can do Yes. Um, no, glo- globally, because that impacted every other nation on the face of this earth. Yeah. Cannabis possession is still capital punishment in some countries. Oh, a lot um, of countries. Oh, yeah. so for me, it was a reinvention of slavery, right? So we like to say, you know, slavery was an atrocity. It could have been the worst, the, you know, worst crime against humanity. But that's all they've they just reinvented it. It just looks right. different. Mm. So it's, you know, the perpetuation of slavery, um, chattel slave system, and you withheld life-saving medicine from millions of people globally. So I like to call it the greatest crime against humanity because of just like the tentacles (laughs) (laughs) that have, have, you know, reached out from that one sentinel moment that has impacted not just people, but our food systems, everything, um, every, everything. Yeah. Now you're absolutely right. I completely agree with you. So for the sake of time, I'm going to start asking really, really difficult questions. So just get really prepared. I know you're an MD and MBA and, you know, a brilliant person, but this is going to be really difficult. So just get ready. It's like Jeopardy. Okay. Okay. I'm just messing. messing. Um, All right. So please describe your first experience with cannabis. Mm, It's pretty boring. (laughs) I was visiting now an ex-boyfriend and uh he just rolled up a joint and passed it to me and i took a puff <laughs> well this was uh this was like two years oh, ago when this was, was like this oh gosh no 30 years ago were you you're, nobody's listening don't worry about it just us yeah nobody listens to this podcast <laughs> whatever um <laughs> prop 26 i would okay. say i would place me yeah you're kind of a late so, yeah, I know. Late late bloomer. Bloomer. You, I, saw, you I saw it in college. I'm like, my mom, it was everywhere. It was yeah. everywhere. But, you know, I had, At least I had you no admit interest. It. I didn't even have my first drink until I was 22. I just, yeah. I'm not opposed. I just didn't, I don't know. Wasn't, wasn't, wasn't your thing. thing. Yeah, so, yeah. so when you took your uh, puff and you, did you feel anything? Did you get high? I think, oh gosh, my recall. Um, <laughs> I think like, it's typical for some people, not really, right? right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not until the second time where your right. receptors are. And proud. the second time was <laughs> it was a positive experience. Uh, I've I've only had two I would I would call negative experiences. Right. I had like the tiniest bit of a brownie, and oh. uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The edibles will do it to you. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have to get your DNA test done and see what type of metabolizer you are. So, I, no, I'm, so me. I'm with you. I'm with you, doctor. I'm so curious. But um, but yeah, no, no, no. So I, you know, I am, um, ironically, yes. right, stepping out on that TED stage as the first speaker of the day, um, and I think I sounded a little bit nervous on playback when I when I listened to myself. But I mean, everybody's actually nervous. terrified. I can't wait speech. to watch this. Terrified. Yeah. I I get so nervous and anxious, like wildly nervous and anxious. And I've never, I've never um, been evaluated for anxiety. So actually, I I don't think I qualify for generalized anxiety disorder, but it's pretty significant. It's pretty remarkable. So I'm one of those people 
who are prone to, you know, a, you know, ex- an exacerbation of anxiety, <laughs> bridging yeah. into panic. Yeah. And that's what I experienced. I experienced anxiety and some panic and yeah. um, some, um, you know, flight of thought, yeah. um, paranoid thought. Um, okay. But, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't freak out. I think I knew enough then. And I, I, I was, I was, hadn't finished even residency at this point in time. So I definitely, you know, hadn't hit the books to study yeah. the cannabinoid system or cannabis pharmacology, but I knew better, you know, I'm just, yeah, I'm smart cookie. Yeah. Um, so I knew not to freak out. Um, and years later, we can fast forward years later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was, you know, people, I got, a, I get a lot of free product yeah. and I had this one-to-one capsule and, um, you said this is everything's personal. So I guess I'm just going to take it there. Yes. Yes. So, you know, I was, I was feeling some menstrual cramps. Sorry, fellas. Um, and I was like, I have these capsules on me. Like I'm going to give it a try, but all I had was a one-to-one. And, and so I popped it and, and in and Forgot sat around, had, had a burger, <laughs> was in the middle of writing a paper, like okay. an article. And all of a sudden, my fingers start to like slow down uh, and I start <laughs> to like lose focus. On yeah, the that feeling that and I remember going, Oh my God, I have a deadline. Yeah. I have a deadline. So I just wrapped up the laptop and went to bed <laughs> and then woke up the next morning and finished my paper with an apology. <laughs> as long as you didn't wake up high. Cause I've taken those pills and like, woken up high and you're like when is this gonna end it's been seven hours <laughs> so 11 have- yeah 11 oxyhydroxide man that's it, it can stay with you a oh, long yeah. time my lesson. powerful yeah. depending on what type yeah i can't i can't wait to go through your dna test because you know it seems to me that you know there's fa there's a akt1 and and uh and the cytochrome markers seems like a classic uh, case of that when that happens but we'll we'll find out at, at some point for Ooh. sure but yeah, I, uh, speaking of menstrual cramps, like uh, you had some, is, are you suffering? Yeah, right now? yeah my daughter, do- my daughter. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I had a whole thing. I've been giving her CBD, just a, uh, you know, one of our things, not, I, I think it's got 0.3% THC or, mm-hmm. but it's been, it's been helping her, but you know, there's a dose, you guys know that you have to keep doing more and more and more. It's it becomes less effective by phasic and all that stuff. But uh, her mom called me up. She's like, why are you depriving her of Motrin? I said, I'm not depriving her of Motrin. What do you mean? You don't have it in the house. I'm like, she told me it doesn't work for her. She can't take this stuff. Go get her Motrin. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll go get her Motrin. And uh, I'm divorced for like nine years already. I'm still listening to my ex-wife for some reason, but all right, fine. Uh, so I went and got her Motrin and brought her back and she didn't want to take it. So we had a three-way call with her mom and I gave my daughter a one-to-one, a very, very small amount I know I'm given a, 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 she's 16. So whatever, whatever, if the authorities do not I, try this at home, I take, I full, I take full accountability for that. It's a one-to-one, but it was a formulation we made uh, to help somebody unwind for insomnia mm-hmm. and it's nano too. A little bit of a dropper within five minutes, she was out cold, passed out, no more cramps, woke up and like an hour later. And she was like, I'm like, are you high? I'm sorry. She goes, I don't know. I'm kind of, gr- she was out of it for the whole night. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? At least you don't have cramps, right? So it worked. 
said her success story. Now oh, I have to man. get the dose now. Well, you know, and, and still, like, even as knowledgeable as we can become, right, whether we're, we're using, you know, our, our intellect or we're mm. using technology to our advantage, there's still trial and error, right? There's still that little wiggle room of trial and error. And, and you know, for the most part, we should all be experiencing that. Yeah, we should. Um, uh, I still stick by the, the the mantra, right? That mantra yeah. in cannabis, start low, go slow. Low, go slow. Um, but sure. we do that in conventional medicine too. We don't just throw you on high doses of prescription drugs. We start with the lowest denominator. And, and Unless you take it up with Dilex. Epidilex doesn't seem to be low and slow. Oh, it's like, my oh my gosh. gosh. Yeah, it's like, let's hit you with the highest dose of- <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't matter if your liver toxicity is doesn't matter. It's yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I- like I said, I get a lot of product. People, people share a lot of product with us. Yes. And so I do. Um, I don't feel comfortable as even as a medical doctor recommending that patients take things that I haven't tried. I, I just okay. don't. I find that bizarre. I have an endogenous cannabinoid system too. Yep. Um, and I feel like I have a right to address my endocannabinoid system with yep. cannabinoid products as well. Yep. Um, I don't speak often about, about this. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm giving you well, all you. the hood because technically me- licensed medical doctors are not encouraged or actually discouraged um, from using cannabis for our own personal reasons. And that includes medical ones, um, which makes no sense. Why? Doesn't it not? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so I'm not, I'm not always forthright, but I do, I always have like tinctures on hand and yep. I, I like uh, a company called Fairwinds in Washington and Vancouver makes um, uh, inhaled, an inhaler preparation. Mm-hmm. And so I like to show off my inhaler, my tinctures, <laughs> my topicals. I have a history of a bulging disc. Mm-hmm. So I am open about, you know, my use of a one-to-one yeah. and I use that with essential oils mm-hmm. Um as well as a ketogenic diet with lots of water when I flare and that's my regimen and I stick to it. Mm, that's a good one. And it works. So John and I are both uh, big music guys. So we have a music question. Is there a go-to song or album that you like to listen to either if you're oh. a consumer or not, or just like yeah. your, your genre, what's your go-to? I know I have a terrible answer to this, which is, I feel like I turned into my mom. <laughs> I, I, I don't really listen to music. Interesting. Okay. All right. So I'll ask you a question. It's weird. I just, I don't, and I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel the same way, which is really weird. I just don't feel yeah. the same way about music as I once did. All right. So what, what was, what was the first concert that you ever went to? Oh my God. I think it was. Uh, I forgot what the concert was called, but I'm pretty sure. It was back when Diddy went by Puff Daddy. It was Puff Daddy. He's he's brother love now. Family tour? Maybe it was that the family, one. Puff oh. Daddy, the family. Oh, the family. Yeah, yeah the family. That's what I just remembered. The yes. Family. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The family tour. I think it was that one. It also could yeah. have been sync. I just don't remember which one happened first. What was the last one that you went to? Oh, um, well, I really do. I enjoy live music. I saw Bailao in Portland. Okay. Oh gosh, maybe a year and a half ago. Nobody goes to concert. I mean, no, I haven't been to a concert in a year and a half. But it was it was chill. Yeah. Like, I love the like the yeah. smaller mood, small venues um, and stuff. You know, shows. A few years ago, I would have yeah. right away been like Prince. My favorite yes. song is "I Would Die for You," and maybe yes. it's my favorite song. But I am 
like my my favorite genre is hands down 80s rock. Oh, that's that's <laughs> John. New wave. We just had a- <laughs> like 80s rock like from like England like the new wave stuff. Anything. I have a lot of nostalgia about that. 80s. I like 80s hip hop too, but it's just I don't. I don't I know. Went, I went to a show uh, right right before quarantine uh, or before COVID. It was a. Uh, it was all these eighties uh, musicians. So would uh, Tony Loke started? He could barely get Tone through. Loke? Wild Did you say Tony Loke? Tone Tone. Sorry, Tone Loke. <laughs> it's Tony Tony Tony, oh. and then Tone <laughs> yes. Tone Loke. Uh, uh, it was uh, Salt and Pepper, Adam Ant. Uh, it was all really these- on the same bill. All on the same bill, and it was just the wildest thing to see. Like these people, a flock of seagulls, all these people, like Thompson twins, and to see like some of them are great, fantastic. Like Salt and Pepper were great. They sound like they did whatever many years ago. Tone, on the other hand, oh. not so much. Poor Tone, <laughs> but Adam Ant was good. So it was uh, just. Wait, <laughs> let me tell you about the concert that I just bought a ticket to. That's happening at right. the Greek Theater here. This will be the first concert I've gone to. You know, since before COVID. Thomas Dolby, A Flock yes. of Seagulls, The Romantics, yes. Missing Persons, Naked Eyes, Animotion, Musical Youth. That's a great show, right? Dude, I want to go too. <laughs> you want to give me tickets? I, I want to go. I know. <laughs> I know. But I guess I could say, you know, a tie, a, probably a tie is Motown. I'm a sucker from Motown. Oh, I didn't say this about growing up. So my parents were very busy doctors. And, and so we, we had au pairs. Oh. Yes, we 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 had au pairs, um, and I uh, had this one au pair. They were young; they were like eighteen year olds. Thinking back, I'm like, oh my god, mom, dad, you had <laughs> these young eighteen year olds driving your children around, like right. different times, <laughs> different time. Um, but you know, they wanted us exposed to different cultures and different languages and, and all that. Um, but one, she's like, I don't listen to top forty. I don't listen to hip hop or rap because um, that's what we were into. And she's like, I only listen to country or oldies. And we were like, oh, we don't listen to country. So I guess it's oldies. <laughs> Good. So I, I know so many golden oldies front <laughs> to back because of that one year she was with us. And that's all we would listen to going to and from school. So a, like a third genre is golden oldies like what's your favorite one it's one of your favorite a what's a golden oldie like what's one of your favorite golden oldie songs oh man like motown songs no 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 like, like older golden oldie, like preceding okay. motown. like um, frankie valley kind of yes concert. that yes the, any of it i don't like have a favorite 50s yeah okay 50s. i just love it yeah yeah i'm i'm anything between the 50s and and the 80s i'm you're all you're with it that's okay. that. that's cool <laughs> Okay, uh, what has cannabis meant in your life? What kind of question is that, Len? Great question. <laughs> Only reason I ask what kind of it because it is my life. But yeah, what uh, are you? Like, well, that's that's your answer. What kind of it? it is you know, life. yeah. It's uh, it it was the well, it was the key that led us all to the endogenous cannabinoid system. And um, that is the the basis of my work. Uh, it's what led me to health equity, recognizing that 100% of everything that we're exposed to affects our endocannabinoid system, yep. um, which is perfect for me because I just, I knew lifestyle medicine and, and functional medicine. I was like, they're on to something. Um, but now I have 
a concrete reason why we absolutely should be moving in into a different, you know, paradigm of medical care entirely. And it's not one that's going to, you know, confine healthcare to a medical box. Um, it's really challenging us to live very differently. And I, I couldn't be more excited for a future where we've liberated this plant in all of its utility. I mean, I want to live in a house made of hempcrete. <laughs> with hemp so cool. Me too. <laughs> I want to live in, in a permaculture compound model where we're living off of the bounty of our local ecosystem and all of that. I mean, everything that I dream of now, I, I can trace back to, you know, my awakening mm-hmm. of that was, you know, unlocked through cannabis. So. Yeah. Love that. It's a great answer. All right. So this is the last question. If you remember, please describe what your room like looked like growing up. <laughs> what kind of question was that? Like? I know. Uh, well, my questions are great, John. Come on. No, I love that. I mean, you know, I love that question. It's my favorite question. Oh, yeah. It's your favorite. Um, I have, still have yellow walls. Mm-hmm. Um because the room, as your, your room's unchanged, my room's unchanged. <laughs> uh, it has yellow. I, I have like 30 different rooms around. Oh, my really? Life. No, I, I uh, yeah, I guess I've had two technically, um, both had yellow walls. Um, but the, the room that I spent the bulk of my childhood in, uh, yellow walls, nice floral trimmed, you know, uh, wallpaper right. above, posters of mace. And Dwayne Wade. The family. All right. And, <laughs> All right, the family. Um, pictures of my friends. Hmm. I would make my own um, like collages. Uh, picture frames. Yeah, out of you know uh, construction paper and stickers, and I would frame my 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 That's cute basketball photos and soccer photos and track so cool. field photos. My relay race. I colored in a five dollar bill once. Hmm. called it art that was, that was your art <laughs> and then i used it i was like i could i could put this five dollars to use <laughs> why has it been sitting here for like five years mm-hmm. um yeah, john, yeah john, did, john did you ever have pictures of your friends on, on your walls or is that just a girl thing because my daughter has that a little too. bit more of a girl thing and, and my yeah my, she bought a my polaroid camera like and she takes yeah she takes pictures of her friends and she's got them all like a little thing mm. in, her, in her wall and she's got all her friends and I might have like dartboards with my friends on it, but I don't think I actually had. Yeah, like when girls like to do like a lot, not to be, you know, I don't want to stereotype here, but they do love like my my daughter who's 11 likes to do the little collages with magazine yeah. article. Like I can't believe she still looks at magazines, but she likes to do that. Like cut out Billie Eilish. Right now it's all about Billie Eilish. Yeah, Billie Eilish 24 hours course. a day. Any um, uh, glow in the dark stars? I had those. Oh yeah, they have those oh. on, their, on their ceiling. Those are really yeah, cool. Ceiling. I had... um canopy bed so i'd put the stars on the bed so i can make oh. this like 3d experience like yeah. <laughs> the depth cool. of field thought it was so smart <laughs> that is, that like, is oh, right. that's a doctor in early yes an early yeah. <laughs> rachel where can people find out about you about knock stocks about all the different things that you were talking about here and where can people get more information socially yeah. The best place is doctorsnox.com. Um, all of our bios have hyperlinks to the other things we're involved in, um, our own our own businesses and, and boards that we're affiliated right. with. So 
there's that. And then, you know, social, my handle is Rachel Doc Knox, just about everywhere from Twitter to LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Keep awesome. it simple. I'm easy cool. to find. Thank you so much for your contribution, not only to the show, but to what you're, how you're contributing to the entire industry. It's a really, really a beacon of hope because you're out there talking about what everybody else should be listening. So just, I want to encourage people to open their ears, listen and support uh, what you're doing. So thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, Rachel. You haven't, I, I'm going to call you. I'm sorry. Me. I'm still in your guest line. I want you to be on my other podcast. <laughs> sorry. I'm going to text. I'm going to email you soon. So yes. check to hear from me. Sounds good. Awesome. <laughs> Thank right. you. All the best. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. pro man look at that she's, she's a like pro professional she had the blurry background she's so cool yep. i want to have yep. her as maybe as my doctor you know the new thing now i'm i'm listening to is that doctor is not actually having to physically see your doctor anymore that that's like well, that's so what, old school right that's what we're doing that's the i mean not to plug anything but you know we're we're involved with rachel and and her uh family Practice. now and then some other doctors so that's one of the things we're doing we have a concierge service that we launched and then for people that have a specific disease that, you know, we can't, they would click and through telemed uh, speak to a healthcare professional that we vet. And, uh, you know, that's, that's our relationship. That kind that's of great. Well, she, she's really impressive and I would want her to be my doctor. For sure. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in. And you don't have to have the embarrassing tests because they're, you know, they're <laughs> thousands of miles away in Oregon. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Cough. Okay. Yes. Um, wow. What's on your mind these days? Just a million things going on. I, I have a, I have a, an allergy of, or a condition I discovered that I have, which is really interesting to me anyway. So when I get full, mm-hmm. I start sneezing. I start getting stuffed up and sneezing. I'm oh. like, why does that happen? Full like that eating? Happens. When you get full. Food-wise. Food when, I'm, when I'm full, I know when I'm full. It's always been like that my entire life. So I went and researched it. There's a gene for it, actually. Hmm. So a genetic predisposition. My dad has that too. So my when my dad, when I was little, he used to force me to finish eating everything uh, on my plate. So I would sit there for hours. I wasn't like the best eater. Yeah. I would eat, 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 and uh, and they would leave, and I would sit there, and it's cold, and he wouldn't let me leave until I finished every little morsel, which is probably not really good for growing up. It probably creates a whole bunch of different issues with uh, uh, you know your your body image and all that stuff. But yeah, man, when, when I was full, I would start sneezing. And I didn't want to eat anymore. And it would still force me. So I just discovered there was a gene for it that's triggered. That's control. very cool. So is there now that you know that gene, are you able to stop it or you just? Yeah, you know? as soon as as soon as I was. So when I get I still have this tendency that I need to finish everything on my plate. I don't even know why. And my daughter's always like that. You really need to finish. I'm like, yeah, thank you. But as soon as I start getting stuffed up, I feel myself getting stuffed up as I'm eating. Then I have to pause and stop because hmm. now I'm full. I wonder if I have that because I, I get congested. I don't know. I, I'm jealous oh. of your condition. I, I think I want it. No, but I actually, I think I might have that. I might have My body that. tells me when to stop. Yeah, your body stop. is very, you got to listen to your body. My body has lately been telling me like, dude, no more bread. Like you just, you can't do it. It doesn't agree with you. It not only does it make me fat, but it just doesn't agree with me. 
Like it's just yeah, well, just bread in general. I, I think, and it's yeah. not even, I mean, I, I watched this whole show about bread and uh, about like how bread is gotten and, and pasta mm-hmm. and all that stuff, all the, uh, the wheat products, the way that we modify genetically modified wheat, we're actually throwing out the stuff that was beneficial mm. and you outside uh, that's not healthy for you anyway. So it's uh, the weed that we're even using doesn't really have a lot of uh, benefits, health benefits to it mm. anyway. So there's no real reason. I mean, we're addicted to bread and, you know, our body's letting us know that we're craving the carb, that simple carb, because it converts to sugar anyway. It's a glucose. It converts to sugar. So our body is always craving sugar yeah. as it is. And because this is a simple way for our body to get sugar, start craving uh, breads. You know, so but but I have to remember how I feel. So when I feel that craving, I want to tell myself, this is how you feel. This is you on bread. Like (laughs) if you can, it's hard to, for you to have that recall, but like, you know, when you're really not feeling well after you eat a lot of bread, which happens to me a lot, I'm like, I just don't remember it when I see that incredibly look good looking croissant that I just have to (laughs) eat. And then I eat the croissant and then I'm like an hour later, I'm like, this is why I don't eat freaking croissants. Cause I feel Dude, like drink water, man. A lot of times like our brain can get fooled by, by drinking. So mm-hmm. if we want this bagel or we want this croissant or whatever it is, if you drink water or even have a coffee or some of that, you can, your, your mind will right stop. Now. There we go. It'll stop thinking that you want that croissant. I mean, I'm looking at you and I want a croissant. All right. <laughs> Speaking of croissants. <laughs> yes. What a transition. Um, I have comedies. Yeah. We were thinking of a list today and, I think the yes. idea that we came up with were our favorite comedies. I think we did comedians last time. Yes. So now we're doing our favorite comedy movies yeah. specifically. Not comedy movies. Shows. Yeah. So I'm wearing, I'm wearing a t-shirt today. I just oh, want to show damn it. I should have worn it. So this says, I don't know if you can see it. Uh, no. But it's, oh yes. Every day. Every yeah. day. Do you see who it is? No. Somebody with sunglasses. Yeah. It's Anthony Michael Hall from the breakfast club. Oh, great. And he's going to joint. Let me see if I can make this. Hold on. Let me put my dog down. <laughs> <laughs> so your dog is always on your yes, lap the whole show. I know, yeah. Uh, I don't know if we can see this says every day. Yeah, he's smoking. He's got a joint. Is that from Sixteen Candles or from Breakfast Club? That's from Breakfast Club. I think it's from Breakfast Club when they okay. smoke the joint. Yeah, I can't uh, remember which movie that was from. But yeah, so uh, that's Breakfast Club. So that's, that's cool. Uh, is that on your list? Day. That's not really a funny honorable movie. honorable mention. Yeah, I don't think it's the like funniest. Movie. I yeah. love that movie. It's not. Hilarious. Oh, I love the movie. It's just yeah. not a funny movie. No. We should do like best ensemble movies. <laughs> I know. That would be one of my favorites. Best or just best, best movies. 80s, best 80s best movies. movies. We could do best with, 80s movies. I mean, that would the be. 80s movies, yeah. yeah. With, the be, with the hottest actor who ended up, uh, you know, kind of crashing a little bit. Michael Anthony Hall or, or, J- or Emilio Estevez or Judd? No, J- Judd. Judd Nelson. Judd Nelson. Yeah, Nelson. yeah a lot of those guys. I mean, and then what happened to not Molly Ringwald, who is fascinating, actually, because she's kind of come she's out back. to say. She's kind of back. She writes a lot. And she's come. I tried to have her on my podcast. She's come out against a lot of those movies, like now in kind of her adult life. She doesn't really like to show them to her kids, which I think is interesting. I don't, I don't know why, because it was movies are classic. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think they are, but I think she thinks they're in Some of them are. Maybe not the right message. I don't know. I shouldn't. I shouldn't paraphrase. But it, she wrote an article about it in the New Yorker, and it was pretty interesting. But yeah, I um, but I, I don't know that. if I agree. But you know, that's her experience. And also, she was in them, so who knows how she was treated back then? True. You know, by the powers that be. But she was definitely like for a minute there. Every '80s person 
knew who Molly Ringwald was. For sure. The quintessential. But um, but as far as funny movies, I'm curious. I think we should just kind of alternate. I bet a lot there's a lot of overlap. Let's alternate. I'll do one and you do one. And I'll tell and you if it was on my list. It's on. I mean, Ready? this is in no particular order, I guess. I mean, I can no tell way. you one I think is probably one of the funniest movies ever made. All right, you uh, go first then. Well, I won't start with that because we want to we want to build. This is all about this is all about storytelling. We're I thought building. you said I thought you said there's no order to it. So I know, I, but now I'm realizing we need to build to the exciting. Let's try to save right. our best for last. Um, okay. okay, so I'm gonna throw one out there that I okay so that I just think is really funny. Um, all right, I'm gonna start back in the day. Uh, this is Spinal Tap. Wow, which is love the movie. Didn't make my list. Didn't make your list. I think it's just one of my favorite funny movies. I think I've seen it like a hundred times. You know, it's one of these movies I've seen so many times that I can almost quote it. I actually ended up dating a girl whose father is in Spinal Tap. He played Christopher Guest. Yeah, I wish it was Christopher Guest. No, <laughs> uh, he just died. The guy, this man that we're talking about, his name is Tony Hendra. He played Ian Faith, who was their manager. Um, oh, right. Uh, right. He, there's a very famous scene where he takes his cricket mallet and puts it through their television set. Yep, really yep, pissed. yep. Um, so I was, uh, but that's not why I love the movie. I love the movie because it's brilliant and one of the great mock docs ever made. Oh, yeah. And it just, yeah. so anyway, love this is Spinal Tap. I can't believe it's not on your list. Okay. It, it's not on my list because I have a different Christopher Guest movie. Oh, so okay. I didn't want to well, do too many. Yeah. So what was your uh, Christopher Guest movie? My, uh, Best in Show. Oh, yeah. Oh, because also because you're a dog guy. But yeah, that's... I, I love that movie and, and the same thing. And I love this Spinal Tap, but yeah. that movie. I, I just like pee my pants. I think it's so funny uh, out of those kind of. It movies. is. I love. He. That's the. Yeah. That's definitely one up there in my top. Yeah. If I had to, that's a tough. That's tough to choose. And now you're running that. I have to show best of show best in show to my kids. I think they'd really love it. All right. I'm gonna go with um, Office Space. Is that on your list? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one Office of Space. Best movies ever. It's really one of the them. best movies ever. It even stands up. I was watching it recently with my son, and I was like, this yep. movie is just freaking brilliant. I so love, Mike Judge, right? It's a Mike, it's a Mike Judge, Judge movie. The guy who does, and he's a pretty well-known actor, and he was in Veep. Yeah. Oh, I, uh, his name is. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna to need you to stay. Go ahead and. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna teach you to go ahead and stay late. And my yeah, and not to drop names, but my wife's best friend in high school is in that movie. He plays Michael Bolton. <laughs> you, you know who Michael Bolton love, is in the movie? I love that guy. Yeah. I know. I the, one, know. the one that's listening to uh, like uh, you know gangster rap and yeah, a, yeah. And then I do this walk and he's that's closing the greatest his window. Opening of a movie. Yeah, he's listening to it and the black guy comes by and he closes his window. It's so classic. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, love that movie. Good. I'm glad it's yeah. on your list. It makes me have more respect for you. All right. What do you What All do right. you got? Coming to America. Oh, good one. Oh, by the way, the sequel I hear was terrible, but I didn't watch. Uh, it. I mean, I could barely get through it. Yeah, and I love coming say. to America. Right. I, watch, I was so excited it? for it. I was so excited for it because I love coming to America. But man, there's just no story. I love that. That wasn't on my list, but I do love that movie. I don't think I have any Eddie Murphy movies on my list, which is probably a criminal thing. His movies are funny. They they were. I love them in the 80s. They don't all stand up. Like, it's no. kind of weird watching Trading Places now. It just feels like so racist and weird. But, I, I love that movie. But I love the movie. I mean, I just love him. And I, I just, I mean, I always was a huge Eddie Murphy fan. That, that was filmed in Philly, by the way. Oh, right. Yeah, that's a Philly movie. Animal House? Is that on your list? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, one Animal of, House is one of my favorite movies. I haven't watched it in years, but. I watched it. It stands up. I watched it like, I watched that movie at least 100 times. At least. Yeah. At 
there's certain movies i don't know if they were like on cable or something i just watched them over and over and over and over again when i was a kid and that was one of them that, that movie is not like belly laugh funny no like, it's not like belly laugh. Now, it's just funny but yeah belushi is like oh he's my amazing. god he's amazing in it there's just so many moments that are right. and i feel like it captures a time that kind of like when my dad went to college but anyway yeah. that that yeah that era was really funny all right, so I'll go. Uh, I'll go Caddyshack. Yeah, definitely on my list. A quotable again. Movies that we've seen. You and I have probably all. Somebody actually did a a party, like a pick a party thing for my daughter's school to raise money, and it was a Caddyshack party, and we all had to come over and like dress like Caddyshack. It was so corny, <laughs> but whatever. But they put it on, and it was weird thing is I hadn't watched the movie in like maybe twenty years, and I could like recite it. Like it was yeah. so ingrained in my brain that like I just could recite lines from it. It was really weird. I mean, Ted Knight and Rodney. I mean, <laughs> right. the dynamic between the two is just fantastic. And it's a, yeah, that was like a magical movie. I'm you had Caddyshack. I'm gonna say I, this might be you might not agree, but I it meant a lot to me. The Jerk. I mean, I love The Jerk. It didn't make my didn't list. Didn't make your list. A, I just no, love The it's Jerk. It's a great movie. It's a it's great, great movie. movie, and it's really Steve Martin. It's a it's a Carl Reiner, Steve Martin, yep, collaboration, and that one doesn't stand up. I did watch it with my son recently, and he he still quotes it because I mean I think there's things about it that make him laugh, but I don't know. It's just a movie that meant a lot to me as a kid, and I just I think For Steve. Sure. It was when Steve Martin was sort of at his the height of his powers as a comedian before he became weird and like serious. Yeah, so no, it's, I, I agree. I love that movie. I like all the, the early early Steve, Steve Martin. Martin. Yeah, it's not on my list, but I love Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Oh yeah, I, I love the movie. I love the part where he's uh, he plays a character. Is it Rupier or something that I, I forget the name of the character? But he's got the eye patch and right. he's poking himself. He's got a cork on his fork. Yeah. And he's poking himself, and he, he, and he keep, yeah, you realize he leaves himself. He pee. <laughs> and trains, planes, uh, and automobiles was a really yep. good movie. Um, amazing he had some weird ones too like dead men don't wear plaid and, yeah but but yeah that so the jerk was on my list yeah all right so i'm going with airplane oh man you skipped almost i i was gonna maybe say that was one of my favorites. i was gonna save it for last but i was like i don't know if it, what, what i mean airplane ju- just like jokes greatest. per jokes per minute like it's an incredible movie. Still stands up, by the way. I oh watched my, my God, daughter's. It's hilarious. Surely, my, my, you know, yeah, surely you can't be serious. I mean, my my son laughed out loud a few times. I mean, it's yeah. it's so shockingly racist, like you can't even believe it. But it's hilarious. <laughs> they would never make a movie like that today. It's so inappropriate it's, on it's every single aspect in of every it. way. But I mean, the fact is, it's kind of an equal opportunity. If I mean, it offends everybody. So it's like it Naked was, Gun. They they continue with those uh, right. I didn't put Naked Gun on my on my list, but it could have. I mean, that kind of airplane sort of took my Naked Gun spot. Airplane might have been my number one, but I'm gonna say now this is a a shout out to my boy Mel Brooks. But I love Young Frankenstein. I don't. It's on my list. Oh yeah, I I, Young Frankenstein of all his movies is my favorite, and I I love Blazing Saddles. And I was trying to figure out which one. Hard to pick the Mel Brooks one, but I'm gonna say Young Frankenstein because it's kind of a masterpiece. And yes. It's just Gene Wilder gives an amazing performance. And 100%. Yeah. I just, I, I, it's just always, and there's, again, one of those movies that has so many moments that I can, you know, quote and remember and yeah. nice knockers. <laughs> but, uh, thank I love that you. Movie too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have half baked. Oh, my... wow. You went with a cannabis themed one. Oh, I have a bunch. Yeah. Oh, that, really? That's one that's, of my favorite that's where... cannabis. 
Yeah. Half baked. I don't remember half baked, so I'd have to go back and watch. Is that one I can watch with my kid? Probably not. Oh, of course, you yeah. have to watch it with your kid. It's okay. so funny. It is so funny. I watched with my daughter. We were peeing our pants. It's okay. It holds up. It's Dave Chappelle, and it's like my son it, loves Dave it, Chappelle so it, much. It's super funny, and it's like this is this is the movie that I think made Chappelle before the Chappelle Show. Right. I love yeah. that movie. I really liked. There's something about Mary. If I have oh. to do. Oh my list! Is he on your? Is it on your list? Good. Yes. Um, because I think that's the Farley Brothers' favorite. That's my favorite movie from the Farley Brothers. hundred percent. And when I saw that scene with Ben um, Stiller, where he's like, "Where is it? Where is it?" And then he opens the door, and his hair is all like, you know, do you remember the, the hair gel scene? That <laughs> the is hair gel. one of the more shocking. Just like fell out of my seat laughing. I love the scene gag. with the dog when he oh, was yeah. when he was with the, wrestling with the dog and. and and electrocuting it. Oh yeah, he oh, killed the dog. Get it all wrapped up. <laughs> that was a very that whole character, that woman, that tan woman was. Yeah, I thought there's something about Mary was just so outrageously funny. I, I love that movie. Good. I'm glad it was on your list. I wasn't sure. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. So this is one of my favorite movies of all time. It may yeah. not make a lot of lists, but I saw this movie a hundred times. Still holds up, and I just, I still laugh even though I know it's coming. And I laugh every time. Get him to the Greek. Oh, I love that movie. But I have not seen I think I only saw it once. But it's it a great is, movie. It's an amazing yeah. movie. And it's super, super funny. And uh, Jonah Hill. and uh, So on the Jonah Hill tip, I'm going to yes. say Superbad was yeah. one of my favorite yeah. movies. Yeah, of course. I mean, that, there's a, that's hard to pick those kinds of movies because there's so many good ones. And like between the – I was like 40-year-old version, Superbad, like – uh, you know, Pineapple Express. I mean, they're all great movies. I don't know. But Superbad, I think, is the one for me that stands out as like the best. 100%. Yeah. I have Friday. Oh, I love, I just saw Friday. I love Friday. I didn't even put it on my list, but Friday is so funny. My son, that was a recommendation. My son's like, can we see Friday? I heard that's funny. I'm like, hell yeah, yeah. let's see Friday. Yeah. Um, oh, Friday is great. I'm going to put that down on my list just as movies that I love. All right, this is kind of a weird one. And it's very controversial, this pick. But I have okay. to give it credit. I'm going to say Annie Hall. I, I just said it. I loved Annie Hall. and I have bananas in my list. So. Okay, so we have some Woody Allen. I mean, it, yes. it, any kind of movie from like Annie Hall before is fine with me and Woody Allen. I feel like he maybe he wasn't a creep by that at that time. Because <laughs> um, he, he was dating, always a creep. He wasn't even dating um, uh, Mia, Farrow. Mia Farrow by then. So pre-Mia Farrow, I loved Annie Hall. And I love bananas, and I love what was it, everything you need to know about sex. About sex, great to ask. Yeah, um, all those movies are amazing, but they're amazing. And old Woody Allen movies are like something. They're like he plays a sperm. <laughs> like, yeah, when he played a the, sperm with his just glasses. the visuals of yeah, him, him and his glasses playing a sperm. I mean, come on, it's amazing. I said uh, bananas, but I guess let, let's make oh, it yeah. a wash, and then I'll, I'll give my my next one. So okay, like, I have uh, Borat. Yeah, I have Borat. Oh, the, might the even be my one. favorite. The first one, not the second. The second one was funny, but the first one was really like unbelievable. Amazing. One of my favorite like, movies of all crying, time. Crying. Just, just crying laughing. And Me so too. smart. And like the so scene cool. when he and uh, Ken Davidian wrestling naked. Oh, my God. Like, can't even I was, believe. I literally was crying watching that laughing so hard. I know. It's, it's just unbelievable that that's like, it's just too funny. It never, and it never gets old. I've watched that a hundred times. It's absolutely yep. hilarious. And to, to watch it with your son, like the first time you ever saw that, I was just to like watch his face. It was just amazing. Yep. Um, God, I'm almost like done with my list here. 
I feel like after you say Borat, it's hard to like be like, oh, but I really liked, oh, Anchorman. What do you uh, think? All right, so I have an I have an honorable mention. I have Anchorman. <laughs> it's an honorable mention. I really think it's funny. I went back and watched it again, and like Didn't the do it for you. they first saw it, they were still funny, but it was like, it, it was funny, but it, yeah. So it's it's on my list. Okay, so I said Anchorman, but I feel bad yeah. because that wouldn't have been number one. So now I've I've already spoiled my number one. Is there anything on my list? <laughs> Let me look at here. I think we've said every single movie. I have a, I have a bunch that we didn't. Okay. I mean, there's one movie that I, I did watch recently that I have to say that I think is very, very, very funny. And it's not number one on my list, but I got to put it on my list. And that's the movie Tootsie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tootsie's right? Funny. Not Tootsie's, on my list, but It's not on your funny. list? I mean, Tootsie's really no, I haven't, funny. I haven't seen it in so long, but I remember. I watched funny. it recently, and it, I, we keep saying th- something stands up. I'm actually, it's funny because it does stand up. It's still really, really funny. It's slower than most. Like, my kids... It's just funny, like pacing of movies, how it's gotten so right. much faster. And like for my kids to watch movies from like the 80s and the 90s is like struggle for them because it's like the pacing is different and not as quick. Ah. And so they were a little bit like, uh, this is a little slow. But I just made me laugh a lot. Mrs. Okay. Doubtfire, no. If you have to do women, people dressing up, Tootsie. <laughs> all right. So next one on my list is Christmas Vacation out of oh, all the yeah. vacation movies. That's a really good one. I think we talked I just about love that. Eddie. In that, and you know, the, the the shitter's full. Come on. Yeah, no, it's that's a classic, great Christmas, probably the best Christmas movie. Well, you might have to just say yours because I think I'm out of them. Okay, I'll go and you tell me. Okay, whether I'm like a or nay. Yeah, and if you think of one that. And that, what are movies that haven't stood up? That's what's interesting. Like, is there any movies that you just made you laugh hysterically as a kid? Then when you watched it now, you're like, that was not funny at all. <laughs> yeah, a lot of movies like that, but like Porky's. I like Porky's. I, I, I know. know. Fast Funny. Times Original High totally stands uh, up. Fast Times Original High. So it's on my list. So okay. it's honorable mention. Not funny. It's not funny. Like, really. not really funny. Great no. movie. Not really yeah. funny. Meet the Parents. I love that movie. I thought it was funny. But I rewatched it again. Not as funny. Not as funny. He's been in some Fox. very Ben still. Oh, Tropic Thunder. <laughs> yeah. Is that on your list? <laughs> that is. No, but it's it's funny and it's super inappropriate. Like, Oh my God! It's the most inappropriate and hilarious movie ever. I love that movie. So I was trying to make think of my good list, Ben Stiller movies. That's one of my favorite. Is is Tropic Thunder? Right. Yeah. So I have Kingpin. Oh yeah, I haven't seen Kingpin in years. Oh my God! It still holds up, and the Munson and that old lady <laughs> when he had to go and pay his rent. I mean that that moment. It's it's still etched in my brain. I don't know if you remember. I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember Kingpin at all. I know I saw it, but I don't remember it very well. He lost his hand and he hit the bowl with a fake hand and they all called him Munson. He had to pay his rent and he had his landlord was this old lady that varicose veins everywhere and uh, he had to have sex with her and she's like, hey, rent's due. And he was throwing up in the, in the bathroom afterwards. It was just like, it's fantastic. Is um, Groundhog Day considered a comedy i love it but it's a I, great movie i don't, I don't remember. know if it's a comedy i wouldn't say it. it didn't make me laugh it's just a great movie old school oh love it if you're gonna do a will ferrell i guess that's that's my favorite best. will yeah. ferrell movie and then i have two will ferrell movies that's my number one will ferrell movie because frank the tank is just amazing right. you're gonna say stepbrothers aren't you they, yeah of course <laughs> i know of it. course of course <laughs> i mean, I mean incredible that movie Still makes me laugh every single time. And when they come in in the tuxedo and he's got his hands and he's doing the job interview. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, there's uh, John C. Riley and 
It's fantastic. A, one of the greats. Um, it was on my list. I forgot to even put it down. I mean, it's something that I forgot to write down that I love that movie. And my next one is Hangover. Oh yeah, the first I think one. Hangover, the first one is is definitely worthy. At the very end, when they look at all the pictures in the in the elevator, mm-hmm. I mean, that was like the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, and then I have uh, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Oh, another stoner movie. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Is the best. I have to see that one. Neil Patrick Harris is in it. I don't think He's... I've ever actually seen any of the Harold oh. and Kumar. Movies. Oh, you have to see it. Harold and Kumar, the first one is the funniest. Okay. Gotcha. And then this I have an honorable me. mention. I have What's my your last honorable mention? One, honorable mention is Slapshot. Oh, that's a really good 70s movie. What well, a great movie. That, that that was like a, there's another one, North Dallas 40. Those yeah. kind of like sports movies of the 70s that were funny. Yeah. But Slapshot was, was definitely better than North Dallas 40. Good, so good, I good call. I, did have, I don't I did know. Have, have you seen Slapshot? Like, is that, that's a movie that would be. Cause I, just I don't know. Watched, I, haven't, um, I haven't seen it in a long time with Paul Newman. I haven't seen it, but uh, I saw like I did. I saw a clip like I had to do something. Uh, the the Hanson brothers when they were all fighting. I saw I, I saw that clip. I watched um, Revenge of the Nerds with my son the other night, and that's a really that? funny movie. That is in, so incredibly inappropriate in many ways. I think we might have talked about <laughs> this on the show already. But, Does it hold um, up? It kind of holds up. I mean, it's corny. It's like definitely like the humor is like it's a lot of slapstick. But yeah, it kind of yeah. holds up. I mean, it's just really like, it's just a good, solid movie. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, I, I would watch it again. I, 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 it made me happy. It's just that there's a horrible rape scene, which is yeah. they should probably uh, remove from the film. Um, and, you know, I mean, they can't remove it, but just is a weird There was scene. a rape scene in Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, but Saturday Night Fever was like a serious movie, right? So that was yeah, like, but it was a rape. Like, yeah, it was rape. I mean, yeah, yeah was, sort of. But uh, I started yeah. watching my daughter when she was little. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. I forgot all about it. That's I'm like, intense. Tuesday. That movie's very. Yeah. I think I told the story maybe, but when I was a kid, I think my some one of our parents, me and my friend Adam, we they let us off. We were like 11 years old, and we went somehow got into Saturday Night Fever and watched it. We didn't know. We thought it was gonna be Saturday Night Live. So we were we were seeing this movie and we were like, this is freaking yeah, heavy. That's like a heavy movie. I remember being it's like really shaken movie. up after it. Very heavy. It's not just like John Travolta dancing. That they don't they yeah. don't make movies like that anymore. Like because that would be marketed towards like teens, so they wouldn't have put yeah. up the rape scene. They wouldn't have put all the kind of intense, yeah, yeah, it was intense. Yeah, the guy. Uh, so suicide. if you want to spend a weekend like uh, just to watch like a series, forgetting Sarah Marshall, mm-hmm. and then after that, watch him get him uh, to the Greek. Because it's the same character. Right. And by the way, is it the same guy? Is it actually the same character? Or are you just saying it's the same yeah. actor? No, it's the same. So so what he did was, this is a, a Judd Apatow movie, right. right? So Forgetting Sarah Marshall has Aldous Snow as Sarah Marshall's boyfriend. Right. Uh, and the movie Get Him to the Greek is Aldous Snow as a rock star. Oh, so he okay. continued a character in the okay. movie. I forgot Make another that. movie around a character. Okay. So I, I got to really put that. Get Him to the Greek. I got because we watched uh, on the way to I think Italy when we were traveling. My son and I watched Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and he was laughing yeah. so hard. It's uh, so get funny. him to the Greek. And by the way, Mila Kunis in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Are you kidding oh, yeah. me? Oh yeah, Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah. Okay, good list. I, I actually yes. I've literally written these down. This is like a service <laughs> to our readers because <laughs> to our listeners, not our readers. You know, now you you have a list of like great funny movies, and people always ask me, "Oh, what should I watch? What should I watch tonight?" We just gave you a list of like, yeah, twenty five movies. Watch any of those, and they're watch they're any even of those. You'll be happy. Fine. If if you smoke a joint and watch them, they're even funnier. They're even funnier. 
Raising Arizona, we didn't put any Coen Brothers. Raising Arizona, I might actually put on that. <laughs> is it really? Is it? I got to see it again. Is it funny? funny? The only reason I thought of Raising Arizona is because that's the only the first movie I ever saw high. So that oh. made me think of that. But that was a funny movie, and we didn't say like. Um, the well, there's famous. a bunch. I mean, there's Spaceballs. You're talking yeah. about Mel, Mel Brooks. I mean, I, there's so many. It was really, yeah, really yeah, it's hard. very hard because I just like funny movies, and so me too. But the, if you have to single out the best Mel Brooks, I think Young Frankenstein with with I Blazing agree. Saddles coming in a close second. Yeah. Some people would disagree, and some people might even say High Anxiety. All right. This is the segment so, of the show where Len plays me something that I haven't heard. I'm going to play I for heard the it. first time ever. You heard it? No, the entire kidding. album? I'm <laughs> just kidding. I just set that up and I'm like, I heard <laughs> I'm gonna, it. I'm gonna actually I'm gonna actually try to play clips of oh, multiple songs on this album. Is it a new so album? This is, yeah, it's Travis Barker's album. Okay. I really love the guests on all these songs. He's the drummer. Well, uh, blink, 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 182. blink 182. Blink 182. And then, yeah, and here's a, a story about Travis Barker. I was interviewing him on the phone once and he's like Dude, I'll do this interview with you, but just so you know, I'm taking a piss right now. And he, like, as we were talking, he was just taking a piss. <laughs> I was like, okay, I respect that. Yeah, he's uh, he's uh, the one that was in the plane crash with DJ AM mm-hmm. as well. Oh, yeah. And got burnt. A lot of his body got burnt. Wow. And he had a really, DJ really long died. rehab. DJ AM died. He's the only survivor, and he still carries that. Hmm. And he doesn't fly. Wow. So when he's got to go tour in Europe, he takes the Queen Mary or whatever. He's a producer now as well. He plays drums and produces a lot of a lot of artists now. And he made this album with guests on uh, a bunch of these uh, songs. So um, let me play you some clips. I think they're pretty cool. This one is "Can a Drummer Get Some." I had Lil Wayne and Rick Swiss Ross. Speed. Yeah. Rick Ross. Swiss Beats. This is If You Want To with Pharrell and Loopy Fiasco. Wow. You- That was good. This is with the RZA, Raekwon, and Tom Morello. Check his vital signs. Strike his vital nerve through a vital curve. The rhyme tempest, like lightning bolts being thrown down from Mount Olympus. 
Beat on your head like a Travis Barker simple trash. I slap the arm measurements. I turn you back to a gas. A red Feeling hella good, smoking while I'm driving. You would if you could. So I'ma push, smoking on this Reggie Bush, avoiding the peas, steady trying to hit it. Jesus, jeez, you niggas don't get it. And she's a tease, you're never gonna hit it. She says she wanna keep her clothes on. I'm not a drummer, but this summer the beat goes on. I told her, let me flip. By the way, I want to start calling Pot Reggie Bush. <laughs> I know it was great. My Reggie Bush. I'm I'm just puffing on my Reggie Bush. <laughs> I love that. Well, that that was knocking with uh, Snoop and E40 as well. Yep, we could hear Snoop's distinctive voice in the back. That's why I didn't have to announce who. It yeah, was you don't even have to say he's like got the most distinctive. I love voice. that album. I think it's so interesting. What a because, cool! He got such amazing artists to perform. Right, with him. and and you, it kind of reminded me of way back in the '90s when they had that rap rock kind of thing going yeah. for a while. But he's got better rappers on it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the, at least he didn't choose to rap. That was probably smart. So I guess he produced all those beats. Produced the beats uh, and then uh, plays. Uh, it reminds me a little. We never talk about the gorillas on this show, but it reminds me a little about the gorillas, how he. Oh, we should definitely talk about the gorillas. I mean, I'm I a huge gorillas. gorillas fan. Yeah. Me too. But, and I love how he brings like artists. I mean, he even had um, the guy from The Cure on his last record. I mean, he he'll, yeah. he gets people to come out of the woodwork. Yeah, um, he, and uh, he had uh, De La Soul on. Yeah. I saw them at the. I Did saw them a couple years ago at the forum. At the forum. Yeah, my son went to that show. All right. Well, this has been a jam-packed episode of endocannabinoids and health equity and our funniest movies. I mean, it's you know you hit the spectrum there. The four pillars. Yeah, <laughs> we got the pillars. <laughs> we hit the pillars. We should tell Doctor Knox. We did the pillars. Rachel's her. awesome. She's yeah, she's very play, cool. Play I friends. liked her, and she's so smart. All right. Well, Len, thank you. Until next week. Peace. You want to uh, take oh, us out? With, yeah, I, let me take I you out die, a little. I bomb. would die for you from Prince. Oh, uh, okay. Let's. Uh, this is for for our friend Rachel Knox. Tommy, cue it up. I will die for you. We'll probably get taken down on YouTube in five seconds. Exactly. I <laughs> will die for you. You. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Peace, everyone. Peace. Everything is personal. See ya.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Canachix Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.